Good morning. My name is Adam Venable, and I'm the REF campus minister over at UAB. And it's great to get to open up God's word with you this morning. I did uh, get a stress fracture on my right foot here. So that's why I'm wearing this funny looking boot. I was running too much, the doctor said, and uh, just had this little, you know, little stress fracture in my foot. So that's why I'm hobbling around up here. We are talking about anxiety this morning, anxiety, and anxiety and getting help with your anxiety has become a multi-billion dollar industry in the U.S. Think about, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, even CBD oil and stress balls and stress blankets. We actually own a stress blanket. Uh, there's Christian books. Uh, millions of dollars are made every year on Christian books trying to help people with their anxiety. And you can pray more or pray the right prayer or uh, have the right Bible reading plan. And all these different things promise to relieve you of your anxiety. There's an epidemic of anxiety in our modern world. And anxiety is actually a theme that you see a lot in Scripture. One of the most repeated commands in the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. We're getting ready to celebrate Easter uh, very soon. And in Matthew 28, a part of the Easter story, Mary Magdalene, she finds the tomb is empty. One of the first things that the angel says to Mary is don't be anxious. And then when Mary finds Jesus, the first thing that Jesus says to her is don't be anxious. And so this morning, I really hope this passage that we look at is encouraging to you. God sees your anxiety, and he longs to help you. And so look with me in Luke 12. This is Luke 12, uh, 22 through 34. And God's word said, and he said to his disciples, that's Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If you then are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive today in the field, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you're to eat or what you're to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom." And these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that do not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, may the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing to you, Lord Jesus, our rock 
and our Redeemer. Amen. I do want to give a brief caveat before we get into the passage anymore. I am still learning to turn away from anxiety in my own life. I have struggled with anxiety for many years. And even this week when I broke my foot, I'm getting ready to preach the sermon on anxiety. And I found myself struggling with anxiety. So I'm, uh, I come to you this morning in deep need of Jesus, just like all of us. And I wanted to give that caveat, but uh, what's the cure that Jesus has for our anxiety? And it's essentially three things. It's trust and turning and helping. Trust in God's lavish grace, turning from the anxiety, and then helping those who are most in need. So what does Jesus mean by trust in his lavish grace? Remember Jesus 2,000 years ago. He's living in a context that's very Jewish, right? He lives in Israel. And in Israel at that time, they had a deep suspicion about the grace of God. And the Pharisees, who were the religious teachers, they taught the people that if you meticulously obeyed, did all the right things, and did all the right work in your life, then God would bless you. And if you made a mistake, and you did uh, something you weren't supposed to, even to the most minute detail, then God would not bless you. This is how they lived. And they were a people full of anxiety. So it's into that context that Jesus wants to display and unveil to the world a God who is gracious and kind and more generous than we could dream or imagine. And he does something that maybe seems a little, a little strange to us. He says, look, you want a cure for your anxiety. You've got to look away from yourself and look at the birds and the flowers and the grass That's the first step, Jesus says. Look at those things, and they will teach you something about the lavishness of God's grace and his goodness. He says, look at the ravens. And I I didn't really know what a raven looked like, but a raven is sort of like a crow, and it eats just about anything. It's a pretty big bird. But he says, look at the ravens. Uh, They don't sow or they don't have storehouses or barns. Ravens aren't involved in mass agricultural production. They don't plan ahead about sowing and reaping and storing or any of these kinds of things. Therefore, how do they live? How do they survive if they don't do any of this work? And Jesus says, because God feeds them. It's, a, it's because of God's kindness and his generosity and his goodness. That's why the ravens thrive, not because of their work or their wisdom or their brilliance. He says, look at the lilies. And uh, the word lily here, that word could be translated into several different flowers. So don't necessarily think, Jesus isn't talking about the lily that you're probably picturing. But commentators say that there's a few different flowers that Jesus was probably talking about. These, These grew in Israel. One is the autumn crocus I wish you could see it. I printed out a picture of it. It's this deep purple flower. It's beautiful. Uh, Another one that commentators say that Jesus is talking about when he says, look at the lilies, is a Turk's cap. I've never heard of that, but it's this brilliant orange flower, and it looks like a spaceship. Uh, It's it's just this amazingly designed flower. And the last one that commentators mention that Jesus might be talking about grew in Israel at the time, is a scarlet anemone. And this scarlet anemone is this deep color of red. 
And it's so brilliant and beautiful, it just draws you into it and you just want to stare at it. And uh, you've experienced this maybe when you've been to the Birmingham Botanical Gardens. You, you walk through and you see these flowers. And Jesus wants us to notice that, ask the question, why are they so beautiful? Why are those flowers so exquisitely designed? How did they get that way? Is it because of the flowers... Uh, you know, stitched themselves together, and it was because of the flowers' hard work. Is that why they look so amazingly designed? No. Jesus wants us to see that those flowers, which are more beautiful, he says, than anything King Solomon could have worn. King Solomon was the, you know, the wealthiest king in the world at the time uh, in the Old Testament. These flowers are more beautiful than anything that that king could have worn. Why are they like that? Because God is generous. And he's kind. And he loves to give and to provide. And finally, he says, look at the grass. And he says, you know, the grass, is, uh, it, it's alive one day. It's thrown into the oven. We don't put grass in the oven. I hope you don't put grass in your oven. They put grass in their oven in sticks in order to get it hot so then they can put their bread in it. And what he's saying is that if God causes the grass to grow and those flowers to look so amazing... And provides food for those ravens to eat every day, even though they don't really know what they're doing. How much more will he provide for you, his children, his beloved children? How valuable are you to God? How much does God treasure you? You know the worth of something, the value of something, based on how much someone is willing to pay for it, right? How much was God the Father willing to pay in order to adopt you into his family? He paid the price of his beloved son who died on the cross and endured all the pain and was counted a sinner. God paid the ultimate price for you because he treasures you. And Jesus says, don't be anxious. Trust God. He loves you so much more than he loves the flowers and the grass and the birds of the air. So you can trust him to provide for you. And let me just say, uh, to to end this point, you cannot be cured of your anxiety just by praying enough or by reading your Bible enough. By hearing Jesus say, stop being anxious. That won't work to stop being anxious. What will? When we began to trust the lavishness of the grace of God for us. He loves us. And when we are anxious about so many things, this is the logic that that we should use. That if God cares that much about the grass, how much more does he care about me? Trust him. Secondly, we've, we've got to turn. We've got to turn. And that means that this, this cure that Jesus wants to give us for anxiety, it does us no good if we don't act on it. It does us no good if we don't uh, obey the thing that Jesus is telling us to do. And go back to middle school English. I think that's when it was, when you're learning different moods. And Jesus here... In this passage, he says several different times the imperative. It's an imperative. That means it's a command. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't be worried. Don't be anxious. He's commanding us to do something. 
And he explains it in a few different ways. Why should we stop being anxious? Um, He says, first, because it's unworthy of you. Anxiety is unworthy of you. Worrying about your house and your wealth, these things are not worthy of you. Because life is so much more than that. Scientists tell us this, that the people who have the most joy are not the ones with the most money or who are in the best shape physically, or whose houses are most put together. Scientists tell us the most fulfilled people are the ones who feel most connected to one another, and scripture would say, and to God. So it's not worthy of you to be anxious about these things. And then second, he says, because it's not productive. Can you add one uh, minute to your life by worrying? Again, science tells us worrying actually takes uh, minutes away from our life. It doesn't add them. It's not productive to be anxious. Um, Finally, he says it's not in your job description. Look, it's God's job to worry and to take care of you. It is not your job. Now, does that mean that you shouldn't work, that you shouldn't plan ahead? Does that mean it's wrong to save money? No, it does not. Over and over again, Scripture commends planning ahead. In the Old Testament, it talks about the ant. Remember the ant in the Old Testament? He, 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 uh, He works in the summer... And he stores up so that he has food to eat in the winter. So the Bible is not saying, don't plan ahead, don't work, don't save money. These things are fine. Retirement accounts, not sinful. So what is he saying? Anxiety is wrong because it's when we give our heart to those things. It's when we find our treasure in those things. Like he says in verse 34. When we make our houses our treasure, that's when we become anxious. When we make building our wealth or maintaining our wealth, our treasure, that's anxiety. When we think about our bodies and being in the best shape possible or having the thinnest waistline, when we give our heart to those things, that's when we become anxious. And Jesus is saying, you must turn from that. How does, what gives him the right to think that I can actually turn away from my anxiety, right? Those of us who've struggled with anxiety for a long, long time, how is it that we can actually turn away from it? And this is what I would, I would say to you. You cannot struggle enough to be free from your anxiety. You cannot. And that's the bad news, is that it doesn't matter how hard you work and try, you, in and of yourself, you cannot turn away from it. But the good news is that when God becomes your Heavenly Father, when He adopts you into His family, He fundamentally says, you are not that old self anymore. Your old self has died with Jesus. It was crucified on the cross. You've risen with Him. And you are now, because of Jesus and His work, Fundamentally free from anxiety forever. That's good news, right? We are not struggling to be free from anxiety. We have been freed from anxiety in Christ forever so that now we can struggle against it. Do you see the difference? One is, 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 is full of anxiety. I'm anxious about my anxiety and I'm trying to work against it and I'm trying to fight against it so that I can finally be free from it. And the other is trusting Jesus. He has freed me from this. Thank you, Jesus. And so that now I can try to turn away from it and work to turn away from it. And I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll mention one thing here. 
Um, what would it look like to turn away from your anxiety about your house? Your house. And for you, this might be how clean and neat your house is. You get anxious because your house feels dirty and cluttered all the time. Or for you, it might be every time your child breaks something in your house, you lose your temper and you're like tempted to rage against, against your kids because they've broken one more thing in your house. What would it look like to turn away from anxiety in, in, in that instance? And it would look something like this. Heavenly Father, you have promised that you will keep my house clean enough and uncluttered enough. You have promised to give me the house that I need. And so I don't have to rage against my kids or against my friends or against my spouse when things don't look or behave just the way that I want. But I can trust you to provide those things for me. And if they don't look just the way that I want them to, that's okay. Because you love me and you care about me. We can turn away from our anxiety because of what Jesus has, has done for us. Um, lastly, so we, we trust in our Heavenly Father's lavish grace for us and we turn away from anxiety. And then last, we want to help those who are most in need. Help those who are most in need. There's been a lot written in the last 20 years about how disconnected we have become. Our, our communities uh, can be more disconnected. Our, our churches, especially during COVID in the last year, were, were more disconnected than we were before. Families, uh, you know, some of us grew up in broken homes, and um, it's much more likely for people to grow up in, in a broken home. Our families are disconnected. And so because of that, when we think about a cure for anxiety, we tend to think of ourselves, right? We tend to be afraid. Everything else has failed me, so it's just me and the book I can read to work on my anxiety. That's what I'm going to do. And so we have got to hear Jesus' the third ingredient in his cure for anxiety is to look away from yourself, to see other people who are in need, and to help them, to give, to seek his kingdom. That's what Jesus says. The third ingredient for the cure for anxiety is to help those who are in need. Um, who are those who are most in need? He, he says, uh, you know, sell your possessions. Jesus isn't saying just to give away everything that you have. The Bible doesn't say it's wrong to have possessions. But he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Who are the needy in our lives? And I think first, it's our kids. Is there anyone needier than a one-year-old? And Jesus says... I want to deliver you from anxiety, but I want to do something so much better in you, so much more glorious, just uh, other than not having anxiety. I want you to become the kind of person who's generous towards the needy. It's our kids. Uh, if you have an aging parent, then the neediest person in your life might be your parents, if they are starting to age. And Christ says, that is how you seek the kingdom. You give away your money. Some of you maybe don't ha- have a whole lot of money. Uh, And if you don't have any money to give away, well, what do all of us have, probably? Time. We give away our time and our money to those who are most in need. What about people who are in difficult circumstances, either here in our church or in our community or in the whole world? Jesus says, I want you to seek my kingdom and give away your time and your money to the needy, those um, those who are in most need of it.
Why does helping the needy cure my anxiety? How are those two things related? Think about this. When you help the poor, the needy, they actually become your teacher. They become your teacher. What do they teach you when you're around the needy and you want to help them? Number one, they teach you that you don't need as much as you thought you did. That you can actually be content with much, much less. I'll never forget um, going on a mission trip um, to very, very rural Mexico. Um, And uh, they wound up ministering to us much more than we could ever do for them, I think. And one of the things they taught me was they they had so much joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. And they had nothing compared to what we have. When we help the needy, uh, they teach us that we can be content with so much less. How else can helping the needy uh, cure us of our anxiety? And it's that they show us the generosity of God. Look how needy we are. Look how vulnerable we are. And yet God cares for us. And um, just to, to bring this plane in for a landing, um, God has not promised us that if we will trust him, then he will give us an easy and comfortable life. He has not promised us that. Jesus' point is not that if we trust him, he'll give me the house that I want and the car that I want and the clothes that I want. His promise is, as you give your life away for his sake, and as you give your life away for the gospel, that he will give you everything you need to accomplish that mission in this life. And when you die, or when he comes back, we will see him face to face, and we will be face to face with the treasure that we longed for most, Christ himself. As we close, I would just invite you, let's pray together that we would, that we would trust God, um, that we would be overcome by his grace and his mercy, his care for us, his lavish care for us. In order that we might not be anxious, but instead seek his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do confess to you that we are uh, so vulnerable and that we are so needy. We need you to convince us that you are full of grace. We need you to convince us that you are lavish in the way that you care for the world and for us. So that we might not be obsessed with our own needs, but that we might seek the needs of others and become the men and women that you made us to be, full of generosity, uh, the way that you are towards us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.